You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Welcome, welcome in to another episode of Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you from the great state of Florida. And uh, just really honored and, and humbled that you would you know, choose to spend a few minutes listening to this podcast. So thank you very, very much for, for tuning in, whether you're new and you've never listened to an episode or, or if you've been around since the, the very beginning, thank you for listening. And I'm excited about today's topic. It's a great question I've been asked many times, and that is, why are there so many different denominations? I did a little bit of research on this uh, over the last few days, and from what I can gather, there are over 40,000 different Christian denominations in the world, which is just a mind-boggling number. And of course, there are loads of them, thousands of them that are just kind of like these little mini denominations of literally just a few churches in one city or or one region. Uh, but nonetheless, they, that you know, they could be considered a denomination. And then, of course, we've got all the big dog denominations that we know about, right? Like the Roman Catholic Church or the Southern Baptist Church or the, the Presbyterian Church of America. Like, there are lots of denominations, the Assemblies of God. And there are others out there. But to effectively answer this question, we got to take a, a quick uh, stroll down you know, history lane, take a quick history lesson, go back to the first and second century and remember that there was only one Christian denomination. Right? When you were called a Christian or a Christ follower, that was one religion, one faith. That, you know, There weren't a bunch of different branches of it. And that was the case for several centuries. Um, and then at some point, people begin to talk about the idea of Christianity being a universal religion, that, that it was open to anyone, that any person who wanted to could come be a part of this new Christian faith that was exploding on the scene. And, and then people began to call this the Catholic faith or the Catholic church because the word Catholic was a, a term used in the Roman Empire to describe something that was universal and open to all. And so people began to refer to the Christian faith or the Christian church as the Catholic church. People would say, man, you're very Catholic. And that was a, a generic term to describe the universal nature of Christianity. And then, of course, over the centuries, it became the official name. The Catholic church or the word Catholic became the official word that many Christians and Christ followers would use to describe their church. And then, you know, fast forward up till uh, the 11th century, we see the Great Schism. Basically, they were, you know, as the church had grown and expanded throughout the known world, you had a bunch of churches on the eastern side of the Roman Empire and kind of what is modern day Turkey and in the Middle East, um, you know, parts of northern Africa. And then you had the western part uh, of the Roman Empire and all the churches that were kind of what is in modern day you know, Central and Western Europe, there was a divide where the churches in the East had one theological perspective and the churches in the West had a different theological perspective. And it ended up creating this this break, this fracture between these, these, these groups of churches. And there we kind of see the beginning of denominations. And this is a thousand years after Jesus has you know already died, resurrected, and gone to heaven. We see this great schism. You can do a quick Google search on the great schism, and you can read lots. And so the churches that are on the east, on the eastern part of the known world, begin to refer to themselves as the Eastern Orthodox, right? Orthodox means someone who sticks to the traditional values or someone who sticks to the traditional views. On the flip side of that, we have the churches in the West that start banding together as a large organization, and they call themselves the Roman Catholic Church. 
And up until this point in human history, the church had typically dealt with doctrinal disagreements by having councils. Like So whenever there were Christians within the church that had disagreements on beliefs or theology, they would call for a council where they get all the pastors and all like the major leaders from all the different churches from all different parts of the world. They'd come together at these councils and they'd basically spend days and sometimes weeks basically debating and arguing and they would finally come to a conclusion and they would say, okay, this is the true doctrine. And they would make it clear that this is what we as Christians believe. And in, in many cases, if they were leaders or preachers or pastors that refused to believe what the council had determined, they'd be excommunicated. They'd be kicked out of the Christian faith. And in some cases, they wouldn't be allowed to you know, call themselves Christians or, or to be leaders within the church. And so there was never this allowance for division. Whenever there was a disagreement, it was dealt with at a council. So now here we are in the 11th century with this major division between a bunch of churches from the East and a bunch of churches from the West, and, and they're not able to ever actually kind of come to a resolution. So instead of dealing with it at a council, they end up having the what we call the Great Schism and the separation of the two major factions of Christians. And so at this point in human history, we have two major denominations and the Roman Catholic Church begins to grow and expand very rapidly so it becomes way bigger than the Eastern Orthodox Church and the doctrine and theology and the philosophies of the church begin to evolve greatly and people kind of kind of go along with this for several centuries mostly because the Roman Catholic Church was so powerful kind of hard to fight against them in any way uh, but eventually things begin to change a bunch of different priests and theologians in the 1400s and early 1500s begin to challenge the catholic church and a bunch of these men that challenge the church end up either in prison or losing their lives it, it, this was not like an, an easy challenge that went about and then of course the regular person who's in the church pew most of them are illiterate so they can't even read the bible for themselves so they don't even know or realize the catholic church could be wrong in a lot of ways but this begins to change with the invention of the print press. As Bibles begin to get printed and, and circulated, people become you know more literate. People begin to learn to read and write and begin to read the scriptures for themselves. They begin to see that the Catholic Church had gone awry for several centuries. And it's important to note that originally these priests that were calling for changes were not trying to revolt against the Catholic Church. They were trying to reform the Catholic Church. They wanted the church to change and be better. But eventually... They give up on this and they begin to just kind of launch new churches. And this begins to happen quite a bit throughout Europe. Um, begin to see these kind of little mini you know, revolts against the Catholic Church of churches kind of rising up um, you know, all over Europe. This begins to happen. But the biggest moment you know, in, in this time frame takes place on October 31st, 1517. There is a Catholic priest in Germany by the name of Martin Luther who determines that bringing changes to the Catholic Church wasn't going to ever happen. So he decided to basically uh, start his own church and kind of completely reform away from the Catholic Church. And this is the moment that we say the Reformation began. Martin Luther, on that day, October 31st, 1517, he nails to the to the door of the All Saints Church um, in Wittenberg, Germany. He nails to the door a thing called the 95 Thesis. And it was in this document that he basically outlines the issues that he saw in the Catholic Church and the need for us to, to have a Reformation, a, a Renaissance, where we would launch a whole new thing. For years before this, Martin Luther had been studying the doctrine of justification by faith and faith alone. The Catholic Church had believed that we would be justified and saved by a combination of our faith and our works. And Martin Luther came to the point where he realized this was absolutely false. And that was the begin, that became the, the key doctrine, or that became the, the chief foundation of his new church that he started 
people began to follow Luther. He began to preach against the Catholic Church and began to preach you know, a, a doctrine that I would say was much more accurate and much more closer to the Scripture. And this this brought about a massive change in Germany. I mean, by the droves, people began to leave the Roman Catholic Church and find freedom in truth and this, this doctrine of justification. And it sparked a revival in, in Germany. And these new churches that were springing up uh, were called Lutherans because they were following the teachings of Martin Luther. And so now we see the rise of a new denomination, the Lutheran denomination. And again, before the Great Schism, we'd have these councils where we would kind of you know argue it out and you know debate theology, and then we would all come to a unanimous decision as to what we believe to be truth. But now we no longer had to do that, right? The Lutherans could have their own denomination and they could believe what they wanted to believe. And then other groups started to break away. And we see a reformation taking place in France. And we see a guy by the name of John Calvin rising up to, to be a big part of that. We see guys like John Knox and William Tyndale. And, and you know there are other guys all throughout Europe that began to lead churches breaking away from the Catholic Church and starting you know a new church. And now the precedent had been set. Anytime someone disagreed with the doctrine, they simply just broke away and launched their own. Now, this idea of breaking off uh, may sound kind of negative, and it may even give uh, kind of a negative connotation to the Reformation. But I want to make it clear. The Reformation is one of the greatest eras of not just church history, but human history. Like This is a period of time. We got about a you know an 80 to 100 year period of time where human beings were reintroduced to having a friendship with God, where the bad doctrine of the Catholic Church was challenged, where the oppression of the Catholic Church was challenged. And humans, people, were then given the opportunity to truly understand God. That, that people were, were given the opportunity to be introduced to pure doctrine that actually introduced them to the incredible nature of the gospel. The Reformation is a great, great thing, and we all should be thankful for the Reformation. We owe a huge debt to the, to the leaders of the Reformation. I'm thankful for them. Much positive came out of the Reformation. And of course, there is a negative side to the you know to the Reformation. There are definitely many different denominations that come about, and definitely some elements of division that arise out of the Reformation. But in my opinion, overall, the Reformation was an incredibly awesome thing that I believe, no doubt, God orchestrated. So after the Reformation, we have about a 200-year period of time, you know, from the you know the early 1600s into the the early 1800s where we literally see thousands of denominations springing up all over the world, Europe, you know, in in the colonies in the new world of America, northern Africa and as far as, you know, as India. I mean, all over we see thousands of Christian denominations springing up. And it's not really until recently, until maybe the like the mid 1900s where we begin to say, "Hey, you know what? I think Maybe this denominational thing has broken the church and caused a lot of division. Maybe we should try to break down the denominational walls and try to maybe have friendship, you know, with with people across denominations. And of course, that can be difficult when you have fierce, uh, you know, disagreements on theology and, and doctrine. And so, you know, people say, "Man, we really believe this is important," and this church over here says that's not important, or we disagree with you on that. Then it becomes hard for those churches to come together and, and work in a united fashion. There are definitely some times where doctrine doesn't matter, your theology doesn't matter, and you can work together. And in that case, we definitely should. I think denominations have had, in some ways, tremendous negative impact on our Christian world, and in some ways, some incredible positive impact. There's, it's not all bad or all good. I think mean, there's definitely a lot of good and definitely some bad. And, and we as believers are called to really seek to love one another and be united in spite of our doctrinal differences, which is difficult to do, but certainly should be the goal.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I definitely know that this one, uh, a little more nerdy than most, you know, a lot of history, information, and facts, but thanks for listening and hanging with me through that. I hope this was helpful and insightful to you in answering the question, why are there so many different denominations? If you have a question or a topic that you'd like to have addressed on the podcast, best way to do that is to head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. And on the front page there, you'll see a button that says, got a question? Click on that and that'll bring up a form. You can fill that out, put your info in there, put your question in there. And I promise every question that comes our way will get addressed on the podcast. And then of course, while you're on the website, you can check out other things we have on there. We have a resources page with a bunch of books and blogs that you know we recommend. Feel free to check that out. Our intro and outro theme music has been I'm Shipping Up to Boston by the Dropkick Murphys. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us. I'm a seller.